most when things are hard, when things are challenging, when things don't make sense, when you're like Jacob laying down in the middle of the desert and you don't even have a pillow and you're putting your pillow on a hard rock. And it's there that God speaks. It is there that God reveals himself to us. I don't like that reality. I just know it's the truth. Does your life make sense? Is your life hard right now? In today's message, Pastor Daniel teaches us that God meets us at our lowest point when our lives just don't make sense. Many times God waits for us to exhaust our abilities to show us His abilities. It would be wonderful if we didn't need to learn about God this way, but it's how He works. Let's remember that our hard times teach us how inadequate we are and how wonderful He is. Now here's Pastor Daniel in Genesis chapter 28 as he begins his message, Jacob's Journey. Book of Genesis, chapter 28. As we continue our study here through the book of Genesis, I'll be honest with you guys. It's such a privilege for me to get to walk through the Bible with you guys. Because God's word is so powerful. Because there's so many layers to the scripture. I mean, I went home and I was, I was driving home reflecting on what was going on in the family of Isaac and, and Rebecca. And I just thought to myself, you know, it's just another dysfunctional family. You, you know, if you really think about like what's going on, it's just like, it's, it's just like all of our families on some level. You know, there's just stuff that happens where you have Isaac really thinks, you know, Esau's, you know, the cat's meow and, Rebecca just really thinks that, you know, she's just digging on her son's chili, thinks he's great, you know, and, and it's just a whole mess. They're lying to each other and all this stuff is going on. But yet through it all, the Bible narrative tells us that God blesses this mess, this beautiful mess. And it just is so encouraging if you really think about it, because if you take a good look at your own life or if you just watch my life, you think only a gracious and loving God could bless such a mess as this. And that gives infinite encouragement to the people of God throughout the centuries. That God's grace is so sufficient that it can take such calamity and yet still work through it. Now, it doesn't mean that we let calamity happen or we create calamity so God can bring beauty out of it. But it shows that God works despite human failings. He's always done that. And no matter what's going on in your life today, I guarantee that you will see the fingerprints of God through the calamity that is called your life and in my life. And that's what biblical faith is. It's not that everything goes perfectly all the time. It's that no matter how it goes, we see God at work in the midst of it all. And that's our hope and our trust is that. So here in Genesis chapter 28, the hits keep on coming. 
Remember, Rebecca told Jacob, listen, you got to get out of here. You got to get out of here. Because your brother Esau is comforting himself by planning to kill you. So when Isaac is gone, Esau's coming after you. So I want you to go. I want you to go to my family. I want you to go see my brother Laban. Because I don't want you to marry a Canaanite woman. I don't want that. So Jacob's preparing to escape. Now in chapter 28, verse 1, it says this. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to him, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Padanaram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take yourself a wife from there of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may be an assembly of peoples and give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your descendants with you that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. So Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padanaram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Esau and Jacob. Now, Isaac calls Jacob in again, and he goes to send him away. There's a strong case being made here, Jacob I do not want you to marry the daughter of the Canaanites. Now, in the Bible, it's very clear that God does not want us to be what is called unequally yoked. And the reality of that is that God wants his kids to marry people who have the same set of values. Okay? That's an important thing. Now, don't get me wrong. There are some cases of missionary dating that work. But that is the exception to the rule. I use the word missionary dating like where someone who's a believer is out dating a non-believer. And that person gets saved. Those are rare. And it's always important you build your life not on the exception to the rule. Because as a pastor, I've been in pastoral ministry for 12 years. And the number of people who I've had come to my office and say, look, I was dating someone who isn't following the Lord, or they say that they're following the Lord, but they're really not. And they're crying, and they're broken. I've made mistakes, I've sinned, I've done all these things. And so, when someone comes in, obviously I want to comfort them, encourage them, talk about God's grace with them. But the reality is, is that had I been able to talk to them before then, I would have been able to say, look, you shouldn't be dating a non-believer. You shouldn't be making a life commitment to somebody whose primary goal is not to honor Jesus. And, and it comes up so often in the scriptures. Here you have Isaac being like, look, don't marry one of the women of the land. I want you to marry somebody who comes from the same lineage. And it's just so important. I didn't want to skip over this without making the point that God's word, when it says something, it means it. Now, I want to make another case because, and this is more for you gals, because what happens a lot of times is a guy sees a Christian gal and he thinks she's great and all of a sudden he's a holy roller. And listen, guys are smart, contrary to popular opinion. <laughs> you know, it's like a guy sees a gal and he's like, man, she's great. And she's like, well, listen, we're, we are not going to, I'm not going to date you because you're not a Christian. And he's like, well, I am now. It's not a bad thing, but the thing is, is that 
just because he showed up at church one day and walked up in the beginning for a, to give his life to Jesus doesn't necessarily mean he's dating material still. Because guys are crafty. I've met a lot of women. They like this guy. This guy likes them. He's not a Christian. He gets saved. He gets a ring on her finger. They get married. And two months later, he doesn't want to have anything to do with church because it interferes with, with the football games. And then when football season's over, it interferes with the soccer matches in Europe that are going on in the morning here. And then the next thing, and the next thing, and they're like, I thought he was a Christian. I mean, he got baptized with me. Listen, God wants his best for you single folks. Don't settle. God will not impose his best upon you. You get to make that choice. Don't settle, please. What I have learned, and I have a great godly wife, marriage is hard enough. It's hard enough. Two sinners trying to make life together. My pastor used to say, Daniel, getting married is like two porcupines trying to snuggle. <laughs> you know, they both got these pricklies. And any of you who've been married, unless that one out of a hundred of you who has like, you just fit like a hand in glove and it's just perfect, you make the rest of us envious with that perfect little marriage. But for the rest of us, you're like two porcupines poking each other, hurting each other. Hey, hey. So it's hard enough. And there's nothing worse than when you marry way less than what God would have for you. Marriage is a long time of companionship. You want to get that one way right. So simply follow the Bible's prescriptions. Do not be unequally yoked. And I would say that not any Christian will do either. You guys, you need to marry a girl who you're like, I'll lay down my life for this woman. You women, this is a man I could submit to because I know he's following Jesus. That's the biblical parameters for these things. And in a world and in a culture where one out of two marriages end in divorce, if the people of God can't get this right, we can't ever hope for anyone else to get it right. So we need to get it right. So important. So important. So Isaac is blessing Jacob. He's sending him out to Padanaram, to Rebekah's family. And look what he blesses him in verse 3. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you. So this is about the fruitfulness of God. May God bless you, make you fruitful. Notice that you may be an assembly of peoples. So may God make you fruitful in such a way that your family blossoms. In verse 4, and give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your descendants with you, that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. Notice, Isaac's blessing is that Jacob will inherit Abraham's blessing, thus showing the patriarchal lineage from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. I keep saying this. It's about God, the people, and the land. Over and over again. The God of the people, the people of God, and the land inheritance. That is the story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. There is a God. He has called a peculiar people to himself, and he wants to give them a home, a land, a place on this earth to call their own. And in verse 5, we find that Jacob goes away. He heads on out to Padanaram, and then you get this long list of details. I like that the Bible is detail-oriented. Notice, to Padanaram, that's the place, 
to Laban. That's Rebekah's brother, the son of Bethuel the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau, just to make sure that nobody gets confused about what's going on here. All right there. Now, look what happens in verse 6. Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him to Padanaram to take himself a wife from there, and that as he blessed him, he gave him a charge saying, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan, so that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and had gone to Padanaram. Also Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan did not please his father Isaac. So Esau went to Ishmael and took Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebahoth, to be his wife in addition to the wives he had. So you see what's going on here. Esau sees what's going on and he thinks to himself, my dad just blessed Jacob. My dad just sent Jacob away to Padanaram to take himself a wife. And three, he said, don't marry any Canaanite daughters. And Jacob obeyed. So he says to himself, okay, so my dad wants all these things. So what am I going to do? I'm going to go talk to my dad's brother, his half-brother Ishmael, and grab myself a wife from the family. See, what's interesting here is that what Esau is doing, in a sense is that he is learning from Jacob's obedience. Now, don't get me wrong. Jacob's made a million mistakes already. But he sees his father's blessing upon this man for doing what he's being asked. And Esau's saying, I want to be obedient and be blessed too. This is what the Christian witness is all about. See, when people watch you follow Jesus, at some point they're going to say, you know what? I want what that person has. Not in the material things, but in the peace that surpasses all understanding, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, self-control, faith, all these things. They're going to see that. And they're going to say, I want what they got. See, Esau's noticing all this, and he's saying, man, I want to be blessed like Jacob. So he tries to take a step of faith, and he grabs Ishmael's daughter to be his wife. Now, it's interesting when you look at this because the reality is, is that God didn't choose Ishmael. God chose Isaac. And in a sense, although God still blessed Ishmael, Esau still wasn't doing what God would have had him to do. So it's an interesting allegiance, Esau and Ishmael. But it is interesting that Esau sees what's going on in Jacob's life and says, well, I want to please my father. And he's provoked to try and take a step. And that's what our lives should be. This is why I really believe that as Christians, the way that we live is so important. None of us will do enough good works to be accepted by God. None of us get saved by our works, right? We've been talking about that a lot. But the reality is we have been saved unto good works. And God cares about our lives because we are witnesses to Jesus every single day. We are called in the New Testament ambassadors of Christ. You think about the United Nations. Each country has an ambassador there. That ambassador's job is to speak on behalf of the entire country. And if an ambassador to America goes up there and does not represent the interests of America in the way that they're supposed to, what happens? You get a new ambassador. 
our lives, no matter what your vocation is, no matter what your age is, no matter how long you've been walking with Jesus, all of our jobs are the same. In this world, in the sphere of influence in which you are, whatever, whether it be your job, your school, your friends, in that sphere of influence, on top of everything else that you are, you are an ambassador of Jesus. And we are meant to represent the interests of Jesus to the people around us. And the way that we live our lives tells a story. It tells the world what we value. And if we value Jesus, then we value people. Then we value justice. We value generosity. We value self-sacrificial love because those are just a few of the things that Jesus values. Not only in his teaching, but in his lifestyle. And we want our witness as Christians to be good representations of what does Jesus value? What is he concerned about? And it's interesting because Satan has done a great job of making every generation sin. Every single generation of humans has struggled with something. We're all good at that. And so what I have learned is that Satan wants to veer us off from that one central ambassadorship. Like in an election year, politics is a great way to get veered off of the ambassadorship of Jesus. Not saying that we shouldn't have political views, but our allegiance to Jesus supersedes all of those things. So we have strong political views, but we still respect other people because they're image bearers of God. We still talk to people in a way that is honoring because God honors people enough to send his own son to die for them. See, there's so many things that can veer us off from that central allegiance. And if you keep that allegiance central, then I believe you can have all your political views and hold them very passionately, but in a way that honors God still. So important for us. Our main priority of our lives is to be ambassadors of Jesus that people might see. Isn't that Matthew 5, 17? Let your light so shine before men that they will see our good works and what? Glorify our Father in heaven. Your life matters. God wants to use your life today, right where you are, right around the people that you're around if you will place him at the forefront of your heart. Lord, what do you want to do in this group of people? Lord, how do you want to speak to this people? Lord, how can I be your man, your girl in this situation? The old bracelet, what would Jesus do? Lord, how do you want me to move through my job with my boss who is mean? How do you want me to honor him or her? How do you want me to act, Lord? How can I make sure that injustice isn't happening right in front of me in your name? If the body of Christ would grab hold of this ambassadorship that has been bestowed on us in the name of Jesus, this world would be changed because the body of Christ would be that salt that God has created us to be. But for so many of us, we're not placing that ambassadorship as the driving passion of our lives. But we see it in the life of Jacob. Esau's learning watching his brother. That witness is powerful. It's powerful. Now, in verse 10, look at what it says. 
Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. Verse 11, so he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set and he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head and he lay down in that place to sleep. Think about this. Jacob now is in the middle of the wilderness and he's laying his head on a rock pillow. Sounds kind of uncomfortable, doesn't it? I mean, the person in here who likes the firmest pillow, have you ever gone camping? The last thing you do is take a big boulder and stick it to put your head on, right? It's just not comfortable. Doesn't matter how thick-headed you are, how flat-headed you are, it just doesn't feel good. But this is where Jacob is. In an uncomfortable environment. But look at what happens. In verse 12, Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and it reached, its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. See, Jacob is in a bad way right now. He's in the middle of the wilderness. He's got a rock for a pillow, and it's there that God meets with him. And I don't know about you guys, and I don't like the reality of it, but for most of us, do we ever grow the most on the sunny days? No. We always grow the most when things are hard, when things are challenging, when things don't make sense, when you're like Jacob, laying down in the middle of the desert, and you don't even have a pillow, and you're putting your pillow on a hard rock. And it's there that God speaks. It is there that God reveals himself to us. I don't like that reality. I just know it's the truth. I look back over my life, I wasn't a Christian yet, but when my mother died of cancer when I was 21, man, the things that God did through that, the hard seasons, the desert seasons, the time when I'm dry as a bone, when I feel like I'm in over my head, when I feel like, man, I'm just one, I'm just one step away from crashing and burning in my life, that's the times that I grow the most. Jesus is Isn't it encouraging that God uses us despite our human failings? Today, Pastor Daniel taught this lesson from the life of Jacob. Jacob found himself in the middle of family turmoil, but God met him there. God meets us too in the middle of our calamity. Our lives may be a mess, but our faith still grows when we recognize God at work during it all. It's okay that our lives aren't perfect because the one who is perfect uses our mess for his glory. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here, lead pastor of Crossroads Community Church in Vancouver, Washington. We would love to connect with you in person 
We have services on Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. If you are not able to join us in person, connect with us online at live.crossroadschurch.net or find us on Facebook at Go, the number two, and Crossroads. Hey, this is Josh, and I wanted to personally thank you for listening today to Jesus is Real Radio. Did you know that Pastor Daniel also has a TV program? It's called Real with Daniel Fusco. I want to encourage you to go to JesusIsRealRadio.com, click on the Stations option in the main menu, and find out if Real with Daniel Fusco airs on a TV station in your area. Place a marker in your Bibles and join us next time as Pastor Daniel continues to teach us from the life of Jacob. From his struggles, Jacob met God. He learned what God was like. We, too, learn when we struggle. In our trials, we learn who's in us and who he is. Without these hard times, we never know God in the same way. Sounds strange, but we ought to thank God for our struggles because by them we grow closer to him. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio.